So, uh, my name's Shaler. If you haven't figured that out, my dad called me last week, and or excuse me, I, I called my dad last week, and I was like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he says, "Oh, nothing. I'm glad that you called. Uh, I have something to tell you." And I was like, "What?" And he says, uh, "You're speaking next Sunday morning." And I was like, do you have any idea the amount of time, effort, and energy that has to go into preparing a message for a Sunday morning? And on the other end of the phone, it's just completely dead silent. (laughs) And I say, hello? And he goes, yes. I do. I say, well, what in the world am I going to talk about? He says, it's Christmas. You'll figure it out. It's like, all right. And he goes, what you want to, what'd you call for? And I said, well, um, I would like to invite you and mom. Uh, we're going to take Soren to the Christmas parade in, in Grapevine. I haven't been since I was in high school. I'm now the father of a two-year-old. I'm kind of Um, enjoying some of the Christmas season. Do you guys want to come with us? And he says, well, have you asked your mother yet? And I said, no. And he goes, well, if she goes, I'll go. You know, I'm just the peacemaker. (laughs) I said, all right, let me me call her and ask her. So I get off the phone with him, and I call my mom. And I say, hey, mom, uh, tomorrow night we were thinking about taking Soren to the Christmas parade in Grapevine. Would you like to come with us? And she goes, oh, probably not. I don't, I'm just really busy, and I don't, I don't think that I can go. I was like, okay, well, if you change your mind, you know, dad said that he would go if you went, but if you change your mind, you know, that's what we're going to do. And she goes, where's it at again? And I said, it's on, it's in Main Street in Grapevine. And she goes, are the shops going to be open? And I said, probably. She said, well, you know, I think I could make it. So we ended up going, and um, we had a nice time. And, of course, I'm sitting there thinking about the holiday season, knowing that I have to speak next or at that point, which was now this Sunday morning, and I'm like, man, what in the world am I going to talk about? It's Christmas, and, and as I'm standing there on Main Street enjoying the festivities and, and everything that's about it, I realize that sometimes there can just be a fine line between what becomes culturally normal and a spiritual reality, and sometimes we can't see the difference between those two things. So I, I want to... Um, Brunson said I had to keep it under 30 minutes today, and so I want to read a quick quote and jump in our passage. This is a quote I found. It says, if God has put on flesh and dwelt among us, if Emmanuel is true, if Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, co-eternal with the Father, has always been and will always be truly born of a virgin and lived a life that you and I are unable to live, weak as we are in our flesh, If he lived our righteousness and then in his death and resurrection imputed that righteousness to us, then everything should change. I like that. 
So uh, I want to read out of Luke chapter 2. It reminds me um, of uh, a line that Lucy said in the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia from C.S. Lewis. She says, yes, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our world. Uh, I want to start in verse 8. When I walked in this morning and I saw Josh, he says, what are you speaking on this morning? And I said, Luke 2. He goes, oh, the Charlie Brown passage. Yes, the Charlie Brown passage, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Lord Jesus, we commit these next few moments to you. Please let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In your name, amen. Excuse me. Remind me the lid's open. (laughs) All right. I have four, hopefully, quick things as I was hanging out in this passage of Scripture for the last week and a half that... I want to point out. The first thing that I noticed is that what I find fascinating in this passage of Scripture, and it seems to me that just about in any passage of Scripture, when human beings encounter a divine being, they completely freak out and they get terrified. And I know that some of you think, oh man, I would just love to see an angel if that happened. It would just make my day. I'm willing to bet that you would fall on your face and be terrified too. You wouldn't come up with all your crazy questions of, I've always been wondering, where did the origin of evil come from? I know that, you know, Lucifer had pride, but where did the pride come from in heaven? And, like, could God make a rock that's so big that he couldn't move it? And all the things, like, all those questions that you've been wondering about that you're going to wait for when you get to heaven that you want to ask and you think this is your chance to find out the answer to them, no, that's not going to happen. You fall on your face and you're completely terrified. And, And the question has to be, why are they completely terrified here and in other places. And I started thinking about this, and I I think the answer is is that if we're honest, 
we really, we really know us. We really know that in a deep subconscious level, we know who we are when no one is around. We know what we really think that we would be embarrassed and ashamed if other people found out about. We know what's really going on inside of our hearts that we sometimes pretend to try and cover up. We know how much we can project. We know how often we feel like frauds. So when a divine being shows up, you think, well, (laughs) they're here to kill me. I'm going to die. I definitely deserve this. I'm a really jacked up person, and here it comes. I knew this was going to happen. And so you're scared. Except in this story, the angel shows up not with a sword, but with good news. And what you see here is that God is stepping in And he takes that fear that they are encountering and that we can encounter. And he drives it out. And he pushes it out. And as he pushes it out, he replaces it with good news. Jesus coming is him driving out fear and giving us good news. And the reason that I think that that's important is because really fear, if you you really think about it, fear being driven out, fear is one of those things that's kind of, I think, at the root of all sin, And so, I'm a youth pastor, I deal with teenagers, that'll make you sin sometimes too, but you ask for repentance and you move on, but I'm dealing with with young men and young women who are beginning to um, start to explore ideas that they can't really wrap out into, they can't really put into words, and some of that fear, that sin is starting to creep up, and so... You start coming up with questions. Fear is the root of questions like, am I good enough? If anyone knew, really knew me, would they love me? Or am I worthy? Those are all fear-based questions. Luckily, those are things only teenagers struggle with. And once you become an adult, they're not really a problem anymore. And that's probably because you had a great youth pastor that guided you through all that stuff. But, but uh, those are fear-based things. And what you see is Jesus comes in, he drives out fear, and he, and he comes to replace those questions with a greater understanding of what God will do for us rather than what we're able to do for ourselves. So, fear's driven out, it's replaced with good news. The second thing I see, angel comes on the scene, is, hey, don't freak out, I'm not here to kill you, nobody's going to die tonight. Um, I actually have something great to tell you. And then after that happens and they look up, the sky splits open and you see this whole host of thousands and thousands of angels crying, glory to God in the highest. And it made me think of what's really happening here is it's a reordering of worship. It's a re-centralizing, reordering of worship. So, I started thinking about this, and I realized that in life, we can all face disappointments, and especially going into the holiday season, um, and I know the holidays are, are, can be a really challenging time for a lot of people, um, but then sometimes in the holidays, people go, and, it, and it's really great, and, and even if everything goes great 
and your family doesn't kill each other over meals, and you get the gift that you want, and everything's just going well, and you make it through that perfectly, sometimes disappointment can still set in. And when things are growing great in your life and disappointment sets in, I think that can be a diagnostic going off in your life, letting you know it might be time for you to reorder your worship because you're putting your hope in something or someone that ultimately is going to let you down. So an example of this, um, I am... Every year, usually every year, I spend the first weekend of the year uh, in Phoenix, Arizona with the ministry that I'm licensed with. It's a, it's a baseball ministry because that's what I did before I became here, and I'm licensed through that. And I go out there every year. It's a men's retreat, and it's a ministry to current and former professional baseball players. And it's a great weekend. I didn't go last year because of COVID. I'm not going this year because I'm participating in the Dopey Challenge, and you can ask me about that later if you'd like. But... I normally go, and uh, we have this time where we break up into small groups, and the small group that I go to is the retiree small group, because we're, I'm retired. And what comes up every year in the retiree small group is, is learning to uh, move past what your vocation is or what your vocation was. And it's a topic every year, but I just remember one year in particular, there was a gentleman who'd come to this retreat, and he was a believer in Jesus, and he had just uh, ended his, his career. And this guy had had the privilege of signing and actually playing out a $100 million contract. Bless his heart. Um, and we get into the small group, but like as the off-season ended, you kind of roll through the holidays, and you just get through it. And, and many times when you hit that point in January, um, many of those guys who had just come off the field are really faced with the first time that something that was a huge part of their life isn't a part of their life anymore. And it has now been removed from them. And I remember this guy who's just weeping like, like a, really like a baby. And as we go through this, this small group, it was really a diagnostic of the fact that, you know, you, you placed a little bit too much hope in your job. And it's time for you to realign the proper order of worship in your life. So the angel's coming, and, and we can all relate to that. We've all had times where, you know, we put a little bit too much hope in a relationship, a little bit too much hope in a job, or a little bit too much hope in something. We might not have the hundred million to go along with it, but when you, when you find that place of disappointment, when all is going well in your life, I challenge you to just step back and look. Maybe I need to reorder worship and sing glory to God in the highest. So what's happening in this moment is that worship is being rightly ordered so that things we, that we put our hope and trust in and that we find satisfaction for our souls in time and time again will show themselves to be bankrupt and they now become exposed in the light of the coming of Jesus. So, fear's driven out, replaced with good news. There's a right ordering of worship. The third thing I see is the economy of God steps in. So, as we learned this morning uh, in our Advent lighting, this was first delivered to shepherds. And, you know, we may not have a lot of context for this because my guess is 
None of us really know shepherds. Maybe Jeff Western does. No, my best friend's a shepherd out in Weatherford. I like to go out to his ranch and shoot guns. But none of the rest of us really know, really know any shepherds. And shepherds were viewed with a great deal of disdain. So I found a quote from a book called The Mishnah, which is Judaism's uh, written record of oral law. And here's the quote. It says, shepherds are incompetent. No one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen in a pit. Can you imagine, hey, out of our text this morning, shepherds are incompetent. No one, I mean, so let's put this into practice this week. When you're on your way home, if you see somebody, just keep on walking. I mean, like, what in the world? So another guy named Jameis, and, and he came later in the 6th century, he wrote back of this time, he said, to buy wool, milk, or a kid, and a kid being a baby goat, not a human being, right? A kid, baby goat. From a shepherd, it was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. Shepherds could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as witnesses. They were viewed as dirty, incompetent thieves. And when the good news for all humanity was rolled out, who was it rolled out to? Those guys. So what I mean by the economy of God stepping in as it flips what you think is supposed to happen upside down and it does it backwards. We live in a world where anyone with a superior skill set, a talent, wealth, they almost always get the first fruits of things that are good. If you've ever been in a place where um, you were next in line and somebody famous stepped in and you got pushed down on the totem pole, you know what that's like. One time I was flying home and I was trying to stand by for a flight and I got cleared, um, so I'm excited. I walk up, I'm going to get to go home, and literally right as the gate agent is about to hand me a ticket, and we're in the process of the exchange, another employee walks up and whispers something in her ear, and she pulls back the ticket. She goes, oh, I'm really sorry, sir, I can't give you the seat. And I'm like, well, you, I thought you just cleared me. I'm trying to go home. And, you know, I become frustrated. Oh, I'm really sorry, we can't, we're going to need your seat for somebody else. So I'm sitting there looking around, who in the world could possibly be this somebody else that just took my seat? The whole plane boards, and I can't figure it out, but the door's still open, and I'm sitting there because, you know, I'm like, I, and I'm wondering who this person was. About three minutes later, Nicole Kidman walks up. They hand her the ticket. Enjoy your flight, Nicole. I hope you get home safe. Thank you. Awesome. I'm not as famous as she is, not as pretty as she is, not as rich as she is, not as tall as she is, and she took my seat. Awesome. But in God's economy, the good news goes to the broken and the contrite and the outcast. All right, here's my last thing. Bronson, keeping it quick. I found this fascinating. A couple years ago, um, I, was a lot, I do a lot of my Bible reading in the car because um, I find it's easier to get, I get to places early and I try to do my devotional time there because that's just what works for me. And I remember sitting in the car having a devotional time reading over this passage 
And I look, and it's, I notice the shepherds show up, and they see Mary and Joseph. And I started having this thought that, you know, it really is kind of remarkable that Joseph was there. Joseph was a good man. In my house, um, my daughter likes to identify who, who the good man is and who the bad man is. We've been spending a lot of time this week watching Peter Pan. Peter Pan is a good man and Captain Hook is a bad man. And, you know, to a young father in 2021 raising a girl in a world where morality is relative, I'm like, praise the Lord, we know the difference between what is good and bad. Yes, Captain Hook is a bad man. Let's never forget it. But Joseph was a good man. And so he's betrothed to Barry. We all know this. And when a Jewish man and a woman got engaged, we, they had a year of betrothal. And during that time, you know, they, did, they weren't supposed to do it. And <laughs> so, and during that time, you could actually, uh, but it was a very, I mean, it was probably a little bit more serious than our engagement because if you were going to break off your betrothal, you actually had to uh, get a, a certificate of divorce. So, you know, in our day and age, you just break up with her or him whatever. But you actually have to get a certificate of divorce. And so now you have the situation where Mary's beginning to show. Have you ever lived in a small town? You know how word spreads around? And she's beginning to show. And so people know that she's pregnant and it means either one of two things, that either Mary was unfaithful to Joseph or that Mary and Joseph had been unfaithful to God. So Mary's life is already ruined. And Joseph has a decision to make. He knows that he can divorce her and he can remove himself from this thing that is going to be seen as scandalous and that everyone's going to look down on him about. And so he can either, he gets visited by the angel and he can either accept into his life this Christ child or he can say, you know what? Things were really going great before all this happened and I can go live a nice, clean, tidy life and pursue everything that I was doing without this discomfort. But he could not have both of those things. And he had a decision to make. And so he chose Jesus because when Jesus comes into your life, sometimes he comes in to disrupt. Sometimes he comes in and he foils your plans. And then he goes on, and in the Matthew account, um, when Joseph is talking to this angel, the angel says, hey, look, yep, this is what's going to happen. He's going to come into your life, and his name is Jesus. So you don't even get to name him. You know, I'm a father, and my wife and I got the privilege of naming our daughter. And when you name somebody, that's symbolic of having a position of authority over them. That's why Adam got to name all the animals 
because human beings are different than animals, right? And so Joseph comes in, his life's going to be completely disrupted, and then the angel says, and then you're not even going to have a position of authority over this child. And I think that's remarkable because when Jesus comes into our life, you know, we love him to come in as a servant. You know, we come to church, we want to present all our needs and requests, and it's the holiday season, and this is what I want, this is what I need, this is what I need you to do for me, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But when Jesus came into the life of Joseph, even as a baby, he did not come in as a servant. He came in as Lord on day one. So I, I want to I end with this. I want to end with this. Uh, It reminded me, there's a famous C.S. Lewis quote, and I love it. Basically, he says, you can ask Jesus life, excuse me, you can ask Jesus Christ into your life to clean out your gutters. And he'll do it. But then he'll also start knocking down your walls because he wants to turn your cottage into a palace. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you that in this season, we celebrate that you came. But Lord, not only did you came, not only did you come, you came as our Lord. And as we walk through these next few weeks, Lord, let us be reminded of that. And let us remember that you are not our servant, but that we are yours. It's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.